Here we are to talk about the Secret Garden. This is Mary, Secret Garden fan. And expert. Huh? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I know a few things. I did, you know, like every couple of minutes into the movie, I was like, pause it, Todd. I gotta tell you something about this. (laughs) I watched it alone, so I couldn't do that. Um, I, I yeah, same. I felt very annoying while watching it, but I couldn't stop myself. Yeah, I am uh, a Secret Garden super fan. It's my yeah. fa- favorite book as a child. Um, so yeah, it's very good. Uh, you may notice there's one voice missing. Susan couldn't be here today, and we miss her. We miss you, yes, Susan. Susan. But she is going to be back next time. Yeah, I hope so because she's leading the episode. <laughs> if you do not want to hear about the secret garden there is another part of the episode you may be excited to hear there's an interview coming up Mm -hmm. in the second half emily is interviewing the author of wild game adrian brodor and that is coming up in the second half of the episode but first to introduce the ep if you could create a special space that would be healing and peaceful to you, your own secret garden, what would it look like? Or what would it be like? Mm. Wow. What a lovely question. It's hard to imagine such a space <laughs> for me. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine having a garden of any kind because of living where I do. But this is Kelly. Uh, and I wish that I had my own secret garden. I think I would want, I, well, so like I would either want a space that was near the beach or the water or something. Um, but I also like, I'm never completely at peace on the beach because like the wind is always blowing really hard and like ruining my vibe. So I think what I would actually want would be like a garden. Um, and I would want to have like a little sectioned off place that was like covered and I would want it to always be raining. Ooh. So that I could, like, sit in the little covered section and read or w- do whatever. Yeah. Uh, and because I just, like, love. And listen to the rain. Yeah. I love rain. I love, like, a my mom, like, the house that she's about to move out of has, like, a screened-in porch. Um, and she lives in Florida. So it's, like, it'll be, like, crazy raining. And you can, like, sit out on the porch. And she has, like, a ton of plants and stuff. And it's, like, such a nice uh, yeah. vibe. And it's very peaceful. So that's my answer. Um, this is Emily. I I think that, you know, one of the things that appealed to me the most about this book when I was a kid, and it probably is what appeals to a lot of kids, is this idea of, like, having a space that's your own, like, when you're a child, mm-hmm. um, where, like, nobody can bother you and you can kind of just, like, be yourself and not, like, worry about other shit. Um that's kind of different when you're an adult because technically like you do have that space except yeah like sometimes you have to share it with other people and they won't leave you alone sometimes you have to share it with ben yeah um but another book that um has this that i also really loved when i was a kid was uh, bridge to terabithia um terabithia is like a secret place where they go um I still have not read that book. It's really good. And um, as a kid, I had, like, woods by my house. And, like, if you go back far enough, there was, like, a clearing 
It was just like a little like fieldy area. And at the time when I was a kid, yeah. it felt like really big. Um, oh, yeah. And I would go back there and play. And sometimes my brother would come back there and play with me when I let him. Um, so I would probably want something like that again, just for the like nostalgia factor. Um, and it just reminds me of Terabithia, I guess, more than yeah. like a secret garden type thing. But yeah. I think this is Mary. I think I would want, this is kind of similar to Kelly's, but I really hate being outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> so my ideal secret garden would be inside. Uh, I looked at a house a few months ago that was like, it had a porch, but it was completely windowed in. So it was just like a room that was all windows. We call that a Florida room in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even kidding. I would love (laughs) to have something like that that's filled with really easy leafy plants. Yeah. And I would like a very comfortable plush chair, which could be plush because it would never get the elements on it. Mm. Yes. So I could like the hang elements. Out. The outside germs. Yeah. Really, we all just want a place that we can go and read and be left yeah. alone. Yeah. It's hard. It's yeah. hard to read sometimes. I also need to not have the internet in my secret garden because that's a big yeah. <laughs> stress point for me sometimes. No Wi-Fi in the secret garden. Just refreshing Twitter. <laughs> Scrolling through Instagram, that's all Distracting I do. Distracting myself. Yeah. yeah. Well, the secret garden in the secret garden is a little bit different. Importantly, we're not talking about the novel, The Secret Garden, although we will be talking about the novel, The Secret Garden, because... It's better than this movie. You gotta. Um, We're talking about the new 2020 movie adaptation about The Secret Garden. This adaptation was directed by Mark Munden... And it's an adaptation of Frances Hodgson Burnett's 1911 novel of the same name. The novel follows Mary Lennox, a recent orphan who's taken in by her mysterious and aloof uncle, Mr. Craven. Slowly, Mary begins to feel at home at the expansive, missile manor. She uncovers a secret garden that once belonged to her uncle's late wife, and she befriends her cousin, Colin, who has been kept locked away in order to protect his health. The pair of unlikely friends begins to discover that the secret garden has restorative properties as well, and both children... Return to Picture Perfect Health. The movie, the 2020 adaptation of the movie, deviates from some plot points and adds new scenes that somewhat change the original message of the book. Emily and I both studied this book in grad school, and we both have a lot of thoughts about it. There was also a 90s adaptation of the novel that was pretty popular back in my elementary school. (laughs) And there was also an adaptation of another Burnett book, A Little Princess, that I loved and was also terrified of. Uh, Kelly, Kelly, just Kelly, because Susan's not here. (laughs) Uh, Have you ever seen the older adaptation or have you ever read the book, The Secret Garden? Um, I believe I've seen the older adaptation, I think, like when I was a kid. I saw it, so I don't have like strong memories of it but i have a memory of like the general vibe of it 
Uh, if you saw it, you might have just, like, a sense memory. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's what it is. And then I've read the book, I think, maybe twice, because I think I read it when I was a kid or, like, around that, like, I don't know, maybe when I was in middle school. And then I read it again, um, I think, like, while I was in college, maybe. But that was still, like, I probably read it, like, six or seven years ago at this point. Me, the Secret Garden nerd, and I'm like, what do you mean, the adaptation? Because there are many adaptations. Well, there's a mini-popular. The the popular one. (laughs) I've also seen the musical. Did not see the musical. Oh, yeah, there's a musical, too. I... I'm not familiar with the musical at all. Like, I know it exists, but I'm not super familiar with Had it. Had the CD. And I knew all the songs. have seen the 90s movie, but I haven't seen the miniseries. Seen all of the adaptations. Multiple times. <laughs> uh, yeah, so my experience of it is kind of, and I said this to you guys before, that, like, for some reason, despite having seen one of the adaptations and reading the book twice... I really only ever remember that there are, like, three children and two of them are assholes. And that is my memory of the story. And I don't ever remember... not inaccurate? (laughs) I don't ever remember, like, what happens. Like, I know that, like, they they become better children. Uh, Mm -hmm. The first thing that I noticed was in the first ten seconds of the movie. Yeah. It is set in a completely different time period. The date card pops up and Mary's like, pause, top. Yeah, the date, <laughs> literally the date card popped up and I was like, mm, mm. The book came out several decades before the movie's actually set, but you know, that's fine. Yeah. It's whatever. So the book came out in 1911 and it is pretty heavily about colonialism. Yes, as is Little Princess. As well. Yes. <laughs> like, that's kind but, of something she writes about a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. She loves writing about colonialism. But this, the 2020 Secret Garden sets it, like you said, many years after the book came out. hmm In a different time period, sort of set amongst the aftermath of war. What? Do we gain by changing the setting from the turn of the century, starting in India, moving to England? What do we get by changing it to the 1940s? Like, I I feel like they wanted to imply that maybe the house was haunted by ghosts of the soldiers who because the house used to be a hospital. I don't know mm-hmm. if that was in the book that the house was, or that the manor was, like, an, an nah. older hospital during a war or something. No. Yeah. So, and then also, who's, someone is a nurse in it. Is it the, the girl who's, like, Dickens' older sister? Martha? And she's like, oh, yeah. And she's like, I was a nurse at one point or something. I don't know. Maybe. Anyway, oh, no, but they, that's like, fake. Fake news. Yeah, they try to they try to be like, oh, like many soldiers died of horrible deaths in this hospital. But like other than that, I I don't see why they even bothered. And also it made it very confusing, especially at the beginning of the movie, because like that whole first scene, I was like, did her parents get kidnapped? Like what it it made it seem like there's like screaming at the beginning and 
and then a gunshot. Yeah. And I, and, but then you can see that it's like war torn, like, like a weird situation and there's like soldiers and shit and i'm like okay well so like what happened to her parents and like it doesn't get explained until way later for no apparent reason it just added a confusing element that was completely unnecessary in my Mm -hmm. opinion yeah and that's just the first thing that we're going to say that we don't like about this. <laughs> I think it's really important, too, to set up in the beginning that Mary's parents are shitty people. Um, and that's mm-hmm. and that's why Mary is such a shitty person, because, like, she's kind of isolated. The only people she's really around are her parents who, like, don't really pay attention to her and seem like, you know, they're not really, like, good people. Um, they, I mean, they're in colonial India and then they seem to have a bunch of uh, servants who they probably don't treat mm-hmm. very well and I don't like it's just not sh- they're, they're self obsessed yeah so like I think that's really important to be established and I know we're going to get into this more later but even when this with this first scene I think the parents get kind of excused a little bit mm-hmm. um, because like I don't know. I just don't feel like these characters deserve that. And I think then all of a sudden we're like, why is Mary such an asshole? Yeah. Yeah. I guess we're just supposed to think she's <laughs> spoiled. But we get nothing that suggests that. So yeah, well, I, don't I guess because she's like, aren't you going to dress me? So yeah, we know that's that she's, one thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We so. know that she's rich and we know that like we see the like beautiful house that she lived in. Mm-hmm. So, but you have to do a lot of like assuming to yeah. get to that point. Yeah. So my complaint number one, Mary's not enough of a jerk. Oh no. Mm-mm. She needs to be way meaner. Yeah. And way more spoiled to yeah. even approach. Like she is truly horrendous. Yes. Yeah. And Emily, what you said about you know the movie from the first moments are trying to is trying to excuse the parents and make it seem like they weren't so bad. That just like slides into my next talking point. Oh, great, perfect. Uh, one of the biggest changes in the 2020 adaptation that got me real fired up. It's so bad. Was that the movie <laughs> really focuses on a redemption narrative? For Mary and Colin's mothers. I guess not that Colin's mother needs to be redeemed. It's But, you know, like, put him at peace with her, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, so, in the movie, the mothers were twins. And very close. And Mary's mother went to India. Colin's mother stayed in England. In the novel... Mary's mother explicitly does not want children. And it, you know, there's like a line in the book that says she wasn't interested in having a child. Mm -hmm. And she's obsessed with parties and how she looks and herself, leaving Mary to be raised by servants who just do whatever she tells them to. But the movie portrays Mary's mother as being in a deep depression after the death of her sister. And this completely changes Mary's motivations for her being bratty 
it makes her relationship with her parents more complicated. What does this redemptive arc add or take away? Like, what would the movie have been like if they went with the original plot and she was, her mom was just crappy? Well, I think, you know, I think we gotta be okay with saying, like, some parents are just shitty parents. You know what I mean? And I think, like, and that's something I think Frances Hodgson Burnett, I mean, I've only read two of her books. I know she's got at least one other one. But just from... Look, those are the big ones. Yeah, but from the two big ones that I've read, like, that seems to be something that she's interested in as well as, like, exploring these, like, imperfect parental relationships. And, I mean, um, Mr. Craven is not, like, a great dad either. And so, I don't, like, I just don't understand, like, why can't we just have shitty parents in a book? and... Also, like, it doesn't do anything to make the redemptive arc about these people who are already dead and who we don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't know anything about them as people. Like, we get brief flashes of Mary's mother being sad. And, like, it just doesn't do anything for us to, like, basically show us, like, oh, these people were – Maybe, like, didn't – their kids don't think they love them, but really they did. And it's like, okay, but that is not, like, the story that we're watching. Like, we're watching the story of Mary and Colin. And, like, why do we need to focus on their parents? Like, I it just, like, didn't add anything. And it was, like, it was trying to add, like, more of an emotional element, but it just Mm -hmm. was, like, so empty and hollow (laughs) because it was, like, based in – essentially nothing and you can't oh now they're trying to shoehorn this in again yeah like you can't make me care about these characters that like like don't even exist really in the story like it just like didn't work at all and then like when the fuck did this become a ghost story Mm -hmm. because (laughs) they're like Multiple scenes, especially, like, the the most, like, irredeemable scene, in my opinion, is when the house is on fire and she's, like, laying on the ground and then, like, her mom comes in to, like, save her. It's like, bitch, like, no, this is so stupid. Why is there – why are there ghosts in here? I would like to also just say about the house on fire scene, it was like, is the secret garden already – is the secret garden already, like – not enough like Jane Eyre that you had to add the house on fire just to, like Jane Eyre it up a little bit more because like we've yeah. got the moors we've got a mysterious creepy house but what if we also we also have a someone crying in a hidden room and we hear him at night like it's <laughs> yeah. very it's already a lot like Jane Eyre like we yeah. get it you don't also have to but set the house on fire Jane Eyre like yeah and then <laughs> Jane Eyre already exists like in addition these two people are in this house breathing in gallons of smoke for like 30 minutes and it's just like first of all get on the ground i maybe you maybe they didn't know this in that year that you should get (laughs) below the smoke but they did i'm like there's no way these two people would survive they're literally like like moving an inch at a time like hacking up their lungs i'm like they're like why why? Well, we don't and know how long they lived after that, Also, then she that, runs we? in... Maybe they died later. <laughs> That's true. 
later that day. That's true. Well, she runs like to get Mr. or her uncle, Mr. Craven, and she's like, "Come on, we have to go." And he's like, "No, I have to save my son." And she's like, "But we have to go." I'm like, "Just say his son is outside." She's like, just like making up excuses, but not ever telling him like he's outside. We can go like he's fine. She's just like, no, Mr. Craven, you have to come with me. I'll explain later. Like, but it's like, no, like, just tell him and he'll leave. It's like, going to take Christ. you two seconds to explain now. Yeah, yeah it's he's not like, that complicated. I have to find him. Just say he's fine. He's outside. It took so long for her to say that I was like gonna throw something at my. Like screen. you can explain the details of how he got outside later. We don't need the whole story. You know, right. just like he's outside. That's all. It reminds me of when like a villain gives their big speech, and it's like someone yes. could easily kill you in the time that you're giving that speech. It was like the same vibe. I was very angry. I was already angry because the house does not burn down. No. We didn't need it. We we don't. No. But we were talking we about the moms. So we yeah. Oh, there's so much <laughs> I hate that I can't focus on what to hate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, the mom stuff really annoyed me. And, like, admittedly, it annoyed me partially because of my own feelings about my mom and like my mom died recently like mm-hmm. all of those feelings are in there but just on a story level i don't know why we needed mary's mom to be good well i think it's okay too like it, i think that's valid to be upset about it on a personal level because i think you know like one of the it's important for different stories to be told I can imagine being a child, if you're a child who was abandoned by your parents or neglected by your parents, reading a story where a girl who didn't have great parents kind of, like, learns how to, like, thrive and exist and find and and find a family because that's a big thing in here too is like she's finding a family and she's finding people who love her outside of her parents On on her own and i think like that's an important story to tell and i i could see like I mean, I'm very fortunate in that I have a very good relationship with both of my parents. Not very good, mm. but y'all know what I mean. <laughs> a good relationship yeah. with both of my parents. Um, but, like, I could see how, like, if I didn't and I watched this and I saw that they made that change, I might find that – I would find that pretty upsetting. Because, like, yeah. it takes yeah. away a really important message for, like, a lot of kids reading this book. And a lot of adults, too. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. that – that you can like thrive and find family and find people you love who love you without having supportive parents in your life. Like that's not. It's truly like a found family yes. story. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. She's related to Colin, I guess, but she didn't know him. Yeah, yeah she had not grown up. With yeah, him. she didn't grow up with him. She definitely didn't grow up with Dickens. She didn't grow up with any of these people. Yeah, but she finds Martha. people to love, and she finds people yeah. who cares about, and she like. She learns what love means, really, because she hadn't really experienced that before. And so I think that, yeah, I think it's important that she hadn't experienced that before. And, like, I do... I do appreciate that the movie was trying to make a commentary on grief. Mm -hmm. You know, like, her mom couldn't be there for her because she was grieving her sister. Like, that is interesting to me, but it felt like that was too much. 
to cram into little glimpses. Yeah. Like, I felt like there were two different movies going on. Like, there was stuff with Mary going on, which was interesting. There was stuff with the sisters going on, which was also interesting, but felt like a completely separate thing that they tried to force in there. Mm -hmm. Right. And, like, there's no way that... I mean, I guess Colin and Mary found these letters between their moms that they were reading. So that was, like, how they figured out that their moms, like, had this, like, deep interior life or whatever. But, like, you... Shock. Adults have right. lives. And then they, like, saw a photo that they were both in in the secret garden. And they're like, wow, my mom did love me. It really felt like a Batman versus Superman. Your mom's name is Martha. <laughs> like, it felt yeah. like that. Yeah. Oh, to me. Like... Oh, man, our moms did love us based on this one picture. Yeah. Yeah. It just didn't. It didn't work, and, and it felt And the whole place. time, Colin's like, my mom didn't love me. Yeah. And I'm like, maybe I'm with Colin. I don't know. And I'm, But I'm also like, what do you mean your mom didn't love you because she got sick and died? <laughs> like. Yeah. I mean, I can understand like, in how the a book, kid would feel Didn't she that. die in childbirth? Like, and that was part of the problem. And, like, that's kind of a big change, too, because, like, part of the issue was, like, she died died in childbirth. And so there were were all these things where, like, they thought he was going to be sick because there were complications during the childbirth. And then also, obviously, like, his father had, like, mixed feelings about him because this woman that he really loved died giving birth to him. And so we miss out on all of that to, like, what? Have, like, some pictures of her hanging out with the baby? Like, yeah. I Didn't need that. So that Mary's mom could still be grieving her death while Mary is, like, recently. Trust. You can grieve for many years. You, yeah, she would have been There's fine. not a time limit. No. Yeah. <laughs> they could have just said... She was never the same after that, but instead they were like, this only happened a few years ago. Yeah. (sighs) Truly so mad about it. (laughs) It makes me irritated to talk about this movie because it's not as if I don't like adaptations that are not like the book. I loved Annihilation, and it's not at all like the book. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and you can also make changes that that are meaningful and... like serve a purpose which is like we talked about that a lot when we were talking about the little woman movie yeah that there were like a couple of significant changes that really like added something Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but was it was in the spirit yeah these changes took something away yeah it just felt like somebody who had maybe like heard about there being a book called The Secret Garden, and then just said, like, maybe this is what it is. <laughs> I want to tell the story of these two moms. Yeah. Like, yeah. never read the book, but just was like, oh, like, it's like someone played telephone with the story of The Secret Garden, yeah. and after it went through, yeah, like, 20 people, like this is yeah. what they had. And that's how I felt watching it, because, I, again, I, I didn't remember a lot of it, so I was like, did any of this happen? Like... <laughs> I was wait so a minute. Confused. Did that house actually catch on fire? Like, I mean, wait, w- even were these sisters a big part of the story? Like, <laughs> even the garden is very different because the garden in the book is like it's locked in a like like you have to 
get into this like wall and it's yes. like an actual garden that was like tended and she has yeah. to like tend it and make it a garden again. Yeah. This is In like a way separate of like part Victorian of garden. Right. Which is, which is why I was like, like it's, it's she and Dickon who like go in the garden and care for it together. Yes. And like, then Mary like and Dickon get the garden beautiful again. And then they bring Colin to it. Like once it's beautiful. Yes. Basically. And I mean, I love thinking about the rules for how gardens were supposed to be like in Victorian England and turn of the century and stuff, because there are so many dumb rules. Like you need it to be maintained, but you do need to let it be a little wild mm-hmm. in parts, but it has to be like a contained wildness. And it's so like, it's so vast. And so thinking about these kids, like mimicking the adult rules of making a garden and kind of like making it their own kid version and it turning out great. Like that's really fun. But in the movie, the garden is a seemingly limitless place. Yeah. With a straight up with like ruins. Yeah. In it. I hated it. They it's- do climb a wall to get in there Do we think the garden in the movie is actually magic? No. No. (laughs) Even though, (laughs) even though, I mean, you know, they did a lot of stuff, which I also hated visually with the garden that was so like incredibly overdone. Where they're like walking out of the garden after seeing something sad and all the plants die behind them as they walk. It's like, come on. Like, yeah, it We've was moved it was not good. This. It was not good. It just Plus the visuals just looked fake. Like the CGI yeah. was not great. There was like a bird that kept showing up and it was like such an obvious CGI bird. And you know what? That bird's real important in the book. <laughs> the bird, the bird is how she finds the garden. Yes. Uh. Oh, and there's no gardener in this book. Nope. What's his, his name? name? His name's Ben. Ben something. Hold on. I'm going to look it up. Secret. I don't remember a gardener. That's beyond my scope of... Uh, he was pretty important early on because he was like... Yeah, because she asked him, may I have a bit of earth? <laughs> yeah, because she wants to have her garden. Um, He's like, yeah, whatever. Just stay out of my hair, kid. Waitstaff? Weatherstaff. Ben Weatherstaff. Weatherstaff. Waitstaff. <laughs> it's close. <gasps> There's also, I mean, sort of like a core tenet of Francis Hodgson Burnett, period, but especially in The Secret Garden, is that nature has restorative properties. Mm-hmm. And like, all these kids need is to get out on those fresh moor airs. Mm-hmm. Just breathe in that hearty wind, and they're going to be great. That'll cure your depression. Mm-hmm. That's what they say. Yeah. I mean, Just look, I'm not saying it's right. Have but you this thought about is... going on a walk? <laughs> Same vibes. Same vibes as have you thought of going on Have you a walk? thought about curing your legs that don't work by going out in the sun? To be fair, Victorian children probably did need to get outside more. It's true. Yeah. Also, his legs never didn't work, right? Yeah. Yes. Right. Kind of exactly. a, 
what's it called? Like the word for like parents who like decide that Munchausen's their kids are sick by yes. proxy. Yeah. Munchausen's by proxy a little bit. Yeah. Although yeah, like he, yeah. it's not like he Mr. wanted to do the caretaking. No. Yeah. He I just mean, wanted Craven the kid out of his kind face. Of a hypochondriac. Yeah. Yeah. And he forces a lot of that onto Colin. And so once Colin gets outside and tries to walk, he's like, oh, actually, I'm just weak because I've been sitting for years. Yeah. Which is how I'm going to be after I get out of this quarantine. I'm going to be like, <laughs> nah. <laughs> yeah, right, Miss I teacher. truthfully go into work this week and standing up so much, I'm like, whew. <laughs> Yeah, I've been doing a lot of walking in these past two weeks because of this dog that I'm dog-sitting. This uh, dog? Oh, my God. Um, so, yeah, I definitely, like, haven't walked this much. I need to at walk all. More. Like, these two weeks, I've walked more than I've walked the entire year. That's a great <laughs> transition. <laughs> Into talking Why about a dog. Why is there a dog? Which... I have to say, so I watched, I said I watched this movie alone, but that was a lie. I watched this movie with Dolly the Poodle. And Uh as soon as this dog showed up on screen, I don't know if this is how dogs always are in movies or if I just noticed it because I was with a dog, but this dog in this movie was barking so much. And then that caused the dog here to bark every time the dog on screen was barking dolly was like barking her fucking head off trying to like catch the dog on the screen and it was stressing me out and i was like just let the scene with this dog end so that i can like go back to peace Mm -hmm. because it's stressful um and the dog was cute but also i feel like it was there because it was she needed to like have like an a, an experience where she cared about a creature and like saw something be vulnerable and like and like help it but yeah it just wasn't again like it didn't work or really do anything cuz like it's a dog of course she's going to like it it's a child and a dog like <laughs> i don't know i didn't really like dogs when i was a kid i was kind of scared of them me too. Yeah. I feel bad that Susan's not here, especially because Susan's our resident dog mom. Yeah. yeah. And so to me, I'm just like, I don't know, this dog didn't do anything for me. It wasn't yeah. cute enough now, for me. Now, if y'all were, if this had been a cat and somebody tried to be like, why was a cat in this movie? I'd be like, why be like, not a put a cat in either. the movie? Like, come yeah. on. Honestly, this movie would have been improved with a cat. Always. Well, Every movie would be Anytime a cat. cat is in the movie, it definitely serves a really good purpose because it's really fucking hard to have a cat in a movie. Like, you see dogs in movies <laughs> all the time, but you barely ever see cats because you can't train them. Like, it is almost impossible. Uh, and they're just, like, what more about, expensive to work with. What about with. Tonic the cat? You know? I mean, they had to have a cat. Yeah, they, that's very cemetery. important to have a cat in Pet Cemetery. I have to say, it's kind of central. Yeah, just want to be. But Tonic did a good job. He was a good baby. Mm-hmm. He was a good baby. At looking scary. Mm-hmm. Yes. Isn't so like in the book? Doesn't Dickon help an animal? That's not a dog. Dickon is always helping animals. Like that's his whole thing. Yeah. Is that he just like. Because, you know, he's just wandering around in the moors, and, like, before Mary gets there, it seems like he's just hanging with animals. Like, all the animals are his friends. And, like, Martha tells Mary that about Dickon, like, before she even meets him. So, like, 
when she meets Dickon, she's already got it in her mind. Like Dickon is this like really cool, like guy who like knows how to like hang with animals and like make them all his friends and stuff like that. You know, like Dickon's truly Snow White. Yes, he is. But without I just imagine him out in the moors with birds landing on him. Yes, that's exactly what it is. He's a Disney princess. And Mary and Dickens spend a lot of time together in the book. And none of that's in the movie. No. Very little. Like, and Dickens shows up really late. Really late. He shows up late. And I feel like even Colin's not in it as much. It's just like the dog stands so in for every other time. character. I on the dog and on the sisters. I have so much of an issue with Colin because Colin is my favorite character. Yeah. Colin in the book and in many of the adaptations. One of the reason that I like Colin is like he's kind of funny. <laughs> like the interactions <laughs> between Mary and Colin are funny. Cause they're like both trying to like out asshole each other. Um, and they're both bad at people. Yeah. And so like, that's really hilarious. And I feel like they tried to do that in this movie a little bit, but like, it wasn't funny at all. Like it just didn't work for me. And like, I don't know. Like Colin is to me, Colin is funny because like he's why he's whiny and spoiled and like he expects Mary to like care and she's like, I don't give a shit about like anything you're saying. She's you know? like, I'm also whiny and spoiled. Yeah, she's like, <laughs> bitch, you trying to whiny and spoil out whiny and outspoil me? Like, mm Like, I came to play. Do not play with me on this, because I will Where's win. My Aya? Yeah. Why am I not being dressed? Yeah. And so, I don't know. Like, I felt like that that was really, like, watered down and, like, wasn't working for me. And, like, I could see, like, if you've never read Secret Garden or, like, seen any other Secret Garden, if I said, Colin's my favorite character, and then you watch this movie, you'd be like, why? Yeah. There was an interview that I read with the director, and he said, we really wanted to have Mary go on a personal journey before she interacted with Colin. And the dog was supposed to do that. Like, why, though? Like, Mary's personal journey is Colin. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Like, they're, e- they're each other's personal journey. Yeah. <sighs> I do have one last very serious, important question. Yes. In this movie... Is Colin Firth a daddy? I would argue that Colin Firth is always a daddy. I would argue he's not in Mamma Mia. <laughs> well, I haven't seen Mamma Mia, so. Um, he's not, not really, he's not really my type. <laughs> not really my type. Maybe well, it's because I've seen Mamma Mia too many times, so. Daddies uh, aren't my type. So Colin Firth like, is also not my type. Yeah. <laughs> but like, ragged crazy hair mysterious creepy uncle <laughs> yeah yeah that sounds know. a little rapey is to that, me mary i don't know is that my time <laughs> um i have something else i want to talk about that we haven't talked yeah. about especially mary as a teacher i'm wondering how you feel about the fact that like school in this movie Gosh. is like don't act <laughs> up or you'll have to go to school I had a problem I was like, with that. Please don't. <laughs> I had a real problem. I didn't problem love with that. it. That is not in the book at all either. It's weird 
It's weird. Like, I can understand it if she was like, give me a little time to get adjusted here. Uh Uh-huh. But she straight away is just like, don't ever send me to school. Well, and it's also like, is the other option that she can have like a tutor come or right? Yeah. Like, are or, like, you going to get a governess? That's or what is I it just like you either go off to boarding school or you don't have school ever? And she's like, well, he does say <laughs> something about getting her a governess, and she's like, no, I don't want it. Yeah, that's- so it's like, bitch, you can't have summer forever. Yeah, that's what I don't understand. She wants it's like. It. I don't know. That was that just really bothered me because I was like, so we're to, we're to believe, parenting. yeah. I'm like, so we're to believe that this like, I mean, she's still in a wealthy family, like that she's not gonna get an education. Like, no. Colin and has like, a tutor, right? Yeah, I was gonna like, say maybe not Colin, in the movie, but yeah. I just like the, the, the way that they kind of like hand wave, like, oh, this is why they're not in school in the movie really fucking bothered me. And I was like, as somebody who used to be a teacher and as somebody who like values education, like I find this very problematic. Yeah. So. And also like, is this movie geared towards children? Like who is, who is this I movie don't for? Know who it, I don't know who it's for. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly it not for us. Me. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't for me. When we finished the movie, I just turned to Todd and I was like, I spent $20. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. We all did. We all did. It's fine. We all I did. couldn't even get Susan Ben to watch it with me. can't even be here. Oh, I couldn't get Ben to watch it with me. I tried, and he was like, oh, so you want me to do your homework with you? I don't think so. So Yes, Ben. <laughs> so we watched Gerald's game instead. Next time Ben wants to play a board game, you should be like, you want me to help you with your job? Yeah, for real, Ben. Mm-mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Oh, he's the worst. I don't even want to rate this because I feel like we know it's not. It's not good, everyone. It's not it's good. bad. I wouldn't recommend it. I didn't even have fun watching it. No, no. it was also boring. Yeah, and that's the thing is like, and I, I would say that about like cutting out human interaction in a movie so that a girl can play with a dog longer. That's boring. Yeah, like please have her interact with people yes. because yeah. that's how like we get character development and stuff. Yeah, and then, like, mm-hmm. watching, a like, lots of scenes of a landscape that is, like, not particularly interesting, and then you try to make it interesting by adding CGI, CGI. to it, and yeah. it just looks fake, is also not fun to watch. No. <sighs> Thanks for bearing with this complain fest. I love, I love a good complain fest every now and then, you know? I do, too. complain fest this interview no um so yeah here we go um you're about to hear an interview that i did with um adrian brodeur who wrote wild game this book recently as in last month came out in paperback so if you're one of those people who prefers paperback it is out there now um i don't have the book in front of me, so I'm just going to have to wing this description off the top of my head from memory. So apologies if I leave something important out. But basically, this it. is um, Adrian Brodeur's um, memoir of being a child and um, growing up with... Speaking of mothers, 
Look, I knew I paired this together for some reason. Just couldn't really yes. put a finger on why. And here it is. Speaking um, of mothers, yeah, that's the episode title. <laughs> grew up, grew up <laughs> with a mother who um, she was a uh, famous chef who studied at Le Cordon Bleu. Ha, ha, ha. Um, <laughs> and uh, she, speaking of mothers who are kind of like self-involved she now that adrian brodeur is older and looking back on her relationship with her mother she's realizing that her mother was pretty self-involved and that she spent a lot of her childhood working to please her mother specifically she spent a lot of her childhood trying to please her mother by helping her mother get away with an affair that lasted for many 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 years um the reason the book is called wild game is because the guy her mother was having an affair with was a like wild game hunter. And so the reason that they spent so much time together or like their cover for why they were spending so much time together was that they were putting together a wild game cookbook. Um, so that they, that gave them time to spend together. And like, um, Mm -hmm. Adrian kind of was there, like her confidant and like, she would come to her at night and like tell her stories about like, what they had done together and what he said to her and stuff. And like, Oof. yeah, it's, Damn. it's bad. Like <laughs> and, um, not the book is great. Um, I think one of the things that this book does really well is like, obviously food is really important in this book and the descriptions she writes about the stuff that her mom was making for them to eat are just like beautifully Sounds written, great. beautifully written. Um, so come for the scandal, stay for the, paragraphs of food writing which i love to read this is a personal thing but i love to read descriptions of food like love it like a good description of food is like so anyway obviously i really enjoyed this book um thankfully i remembered it enough to say something about it since i don't have the plot sounds really interesting yeah the idea of a mom telling her kid here's what me i got up to in my affair oof yeah it's a it's yeah so (laughs) If you if you're interested, listen to the interview and then go grab that book. It's on, it's in paperback now. Da, 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 interview. I am speaking to Adrian Broder about her memoir. Um, Wild Game, which um, when this interview is coming out, will have recently be re- been released in paperback, which is very exciting because I know some people prefer to read paperback books. So, yeah, it's your yeah. book. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I mentioned I was really excited about this book. Um, it just, you know, there are a lot of memoirs out there, but... You know, it's a very, I think, like, trendy genre right now. But mm-hmm. uh, this one feels special. Oh, um, thank you. So I'm really excited to get to talk to you about it. Um, and I watched an interview that you did for Audible. We can link to it in the show notes. But um, just speaking of memoir, since we're on the topic, uh, in the interview you said that um, in memoir, you don't get credit for the events in your life. It's more about the consciousness you bring to those events and what you make of them. Um, Absolutely. And I want to talk a little bit more about that because I think that is what a, a big difference between a memoir and a good memoir, right? 
Oh, thanks. Yeah, I agree with you fully. I mean, I think, you know, at the risk of sounding trite, memoirs can kind of be like the pain Olympics. And (laughs) that was certainly not what I wanted to do in this memoir. I wanted to um, really explore these issues in depth and my relationship with my mother in depth. And and I don't remember if I said in that interview, because it was a long time ago now, um, but but I there was a, a book that really moved me when I was writing the memoir, which is um, Vivian Gornick's uh, book called The Situation and the Story. And in it, there was this line where she said, in order for the drama to deepen, you must show the loneliness of the monster and the cunning of the victim, uh, of the innocent, sorry. And I think that that line and sort of what you said about understanding the consciousness. It's not about laying blame. It's not about sort of look at my life. Wasn't it a disaster or something? It's really about what you learn from it and how you, you know, found your identity or took the reins back on your own um, authentic direction or those types of things. And I think that's what, when I read a memoir that I'm excited about, it's that I I learn something and I can relate to something and you know I and I think I think we all can agree that the story of our lives begins before we're born so it's about understanding all those pieces or as many as we can that folded into the making of of ourselves. Mhm. Yeah, and I think um that's something that's so different when you're writing memoir versus fiction is you're kind of tasked with making sense of things that happened a little bit more. Absolutely. (laughs) Although, (laughs) although since I've just started thinking about a novel, I'll also say that one of the beauties of memoir is you do know the point of view and the rough parameters (laughs) of the story. (laughs) I'm like, whoa, this is a boundless, limitless thing I'm doing here. You can go in any direction. So um, you, you have written some fiction before though, right? Um, I did. I wrote a novel a million years ago, um, but mostly in the past. You know, I haven't. I haven't done that much writing. Um, you know, between the novel and the memoir. I mean, I wrote some personal essays and some things along those lines. Um, but mostly, I was raising a family and doing all that other other work. Right, and um, I know you have mentioned, I don't want to reference this interview too much because not everybody who's listened to it has read this interview, but in that you did mention that um, one of the jumping off points for starting this memoir was the fact that you were becoming a mother and that made you want to look back on your mother and, you know, like not be that kind of mother in a way. Um, Right. I mean, I knew with certainty that I didn't want to mother as I'd been mothered. And I think even knowing that it wasn't till I, I mean, I had children that I really understood that there was this legacy of secret keeping and deception in my family that I had to put an end to. And I had this moment, which I describe a little bit in the book when my daughter was born, um, which was literally was in the hospital, like new, new, new baby hours old. And I was coming up in an elevator and I was so excited to see my mother and to introduce her to her first grandchild. And when the elevator door sort of pinged open and there she was, I had, you know, arguably just the most 
physical astonishing reaction, which, you know, can be explained away as a panic attack or something like that, or all the, you know, painkillers and hormones and other things that were going on with my body. But in that moment, I just felt this crushing weight on my chest that I couldn't speak. I had a hard time breathing. I mean, I really started panicking and growing red faced and everything else. And I just, you know, what it felt to me was like my past and the future colliding and realizing like, oh, no, I haven't done the work. I thought I'd done so much work on all of this, but there was still more to do. Yeah. Um, And do you feel like, I mean, I think that kind of answers this question a little bit, but just to push on that a little bit more, um, do you feel like becoming a mother affected the way you looked at your mother or felt about I your mean, childhood ab- and growing up. Absolutely. And in, and in lots of unexpected ways too, because I think, you know, what you, what one might think is just like, oh, well, I'm going to do this so much better. And I, you know, you, you could just, um, you know, picture everything in opposition. One of the things that I think does happen when you, become a mother, and I won't say this sort of universally across the board, but you you do understand what a much more difficult thing it is and much less um, less clear it is than you previously thought before you had children. And so, uh, you know, one of my main goals as I wrote this book was that I think I think to tell the story well, you have to loosen the grip on your own narrative. And in writing it, one of the things that I had to do was step into my mother's life and really um, know what her story was, learn a lot more about her. And in doing so, I developed a lot of compassion for my mother, you know, despite the, you know, whatever flaws she had as, as a mother. And there were many. She was also terrific in some ways. But I, but when I say I developed a compassion for her, I mean, her childhood made mine look like a walk in the park. And when I talk about sort of breaking this cycle, I mean, the cycle didn't start with her. When I think of her childhood and her parents got married to each other, divorced from each other, married to each other, divorced from each other. There was like a secret other family that her father had. There were affairs. There was so much going on and she lost her first son. And, you know, I could go on and on and on. But the point is, you know, it, the, I mean, we haven't actually even talked about the, the the sort of biggest element of the book, which is that my mother told me when I was 14 years old, she woke me up to tell me that she'd had, you know, she'd had this kiss and, and sort of enlisted my support in an extramarital affair that I don't think we knew at the time, but that was going to go on. It became this epic love affair that went on for years. Um, but the compassion I developed for her made it understandable why some of that happened and just made made her make sense to me in a bigger way. I don't know if I'm <laughs> if I no, lost the thread I, of that. No, I definitely think and I think that comes across in the book um mm-hmm. as well. And I know a lot of times I'm a writer also, so I know a lot of times with things like that it's like writing it out you make sense of it as you're writing it. So I'm sure there were some things you sort of discovered about your mother as well as you were just writing about her. Absolutely. I mean, writing just helps you know what you think. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. I um, I can barely talk, really. I have to write everything down first. So I don't know how people do it. 
Um, so I think one of the things that makes this memoir so good to me is the details. Um, and I know that that can be really hard because memoir is about memory. Um, what stood out to me most about the details of this book were the setting and the food. Um, I feel like this, this book has a very, very big, like place is very important and food is very important. Right. right. Well, and the good news is that the place and the setting hasn't changed, so I didn't need to just sift through memories that were 30 and 40 years old. I actually, you know, am on the same bay where much of this action took place. My mother's still in that same house, so that didn't need to be created or recreated from distant memories. Um, and And the food, honestly, food is just such an important uh, part of my life, and I... I remember, and and it was such an important part of my mother's life because, of course, she was a phenomenal cook. She'd studied at Le Cordon Bleu, and she'd worked in the test kitchens of Time Life when we were in New York. And when we moved to Massachusetts, she had she had a food column for the Boston Globe. So all of our dinners were these test nights. And then when she decided to write the cookbook um, that the title is based upon because the lover was a avid recreational hunter and fisherman, and she was this cook. They decided to do a wild game cookbook together. But those meals just were all so unusual and fabulous and just memorable. Um, and then there was that coupled with the fact that um, I kept a pretty um, I kept pretty extensive journals as a young person. And when I did talk to my mother about finally writing this book um, about five or six years ago, she also uh, gave me access to a lot of her journals, which are not really journals at all, but rather sort of food journals. I mean, if you, if you had a, a travel log of going through Paris, you might talk about the place you places you visited, and she would just go from meal to meal to meal. <laughs> so I, I had some pretty good records of of these meals, and and also she wrote about a lot of them. Yeah. So I had assistance, in other words. <laughs> and you know, now you're writing about it, so you might not want to carry on her legacy in some ways, but maybe this is a nice way to carry on her legacy is like through writing That's about an- food. That's a nice way to look at it, yes. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about, um, I saw that this is, um, the rights for this, the film rights for this were sold before the book even came out, right? Yes, that was very nerve-wracking. Congratulations, that's a big deal. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, uh, well, I was just going to say, it's funny that because it, sort of happened in that odd order. I mean, the I had sold the the book, but hadn't finished writing it. I mean, in fact, I had written a full rough draft of the book, and then I had, I sold it based on a, um, you know, probably 150 pages of, of the actual book, and then an outline and a proposal for the rest. So there was still some cleaning up to be done. But to sell... It was one thing to sell the book and know that I had a year or two to finish that. It was a very different thing to sell the film rights when I hadn't had a final copy of the of the book. It made me very, very nervous. Um, well, I don't know if this is still accurate, but when I checked, um, Kelly Freeman Craig was set to direct yes. it. 
Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, she also directed Edge of Seventeen, which I was such a fan of that movie. So I was amazing. amazing for that. Um, have you been speaking with her at all, or how far along are you in that process? Yes. Well, what I will say is having Kelly become attached to the script, to the book, was the thing that actually gave me the greatest peace of mind. Um, so, you know, like most writers, you, you know, you 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 just you have no you know you'll they'll you have some control over the script but very little in fact i mean in the end it's someone else is writing it and when it is a memoir it's just com- particularly fraught because of course i love everyone in this book and i care about their portrayal and you know it just occurred to me that you know they could portray it any which way they wanted to and then of course on the scene comes kelly freeman craig who's one of the smartest most nuanced, lovely uh, women I've ever met. And she she and I spent a great deal of time talking about the characters. I mean, she just understood so clearly that it wasn't going to be a black and white Mommy Dearest-style memoir at all. Um, she actually came to the Cape, um, and we walked around. She's from California, so it was, you know, hadn't seen a horseshoe crab before and all those types of things. But um, I became very trusting of her um, her vision, and and she explained a lot of the process to me because, of course, a book, I mean, what did it take you to read Wild Game, eight hours or something? I mean, she had to somehow compact all the emotional truth of that into something that's an hour and a half, and there's geographic um, limitations and age limitations. You can't really have a character go from 14 to 50. So, you know, she has her work cut out for her. But I have read, a while ago, I read um, the first draft of the script, which I thought was beautiful. I know they've gone back, meaning the producers had some feedback. And so they're they're hard at work on, on revising right now. That's so exciting. I know... Um... The the film the filmmaking process is such a it can it can be in limbo for so long so it's good to hear that things well, can actually and, be you know moving <laughs> and it can also go into limbo at any point along the way I've been yes. an editor for years too so I feel like for all the time someone's like it's happening it's you know they're shooting like it it still <laughs> I'm not saying anything till I walk in and sit down <laughs> and see it on the screen I then I'll believe it. All right, so everyone who was just listening, just disregard everything we just talked about because it's <laughs> might not happen. <laughs> I'm going to put positive energy out there, though. I think it sounds great, and I would go see that movie, so I'm hopeful that it's all going to go well. Um, Me too. Thank you. <laughs> so I, I do want to really um, quickly talk about your other projects because you are very much a part of the literary world, not just in your writing, but also you uh, founded Zoetrope, and now you are um, uh, working on a nonprofit, yeah. um, Aspen Words. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about what that is. Well, honestly, I just feel like one of the lucky people who, you know, I didn't start out life knowing exactly what I wanted to do, and I definitely sort of took a wrong course, but I corrected early and I just feel so lucky to have always been in the literary world. And, you know, it's not necessarily a place where you're going to score big or anything else, but it is, I, I have loved every day of my professional life. I mean, not every day, but, you know, I, I, I just, 
I find I'm doing the thing that I want to be doing. So, yes, my first sort of big literary job was to start Zoetrope All Story, which is a literary magazine that was founded and financed by Francis Ford Coppola. And it was all about discovering new voices. Um, it was just a thrilling job. I did it for about seven or eight years. Um, and we had all sorts of other programs. And it still exists to this day. And then I was a book editor for many years. And then after that, in a switch, I became the director of this wonderful nonprofit called Aspen Words, which is part of the Aspen Institute. And in with Aspen Words, we have all sorts of programs. We have a big summer literary festival and writing conference. We have a author speaking series in the winter called Winter Words. We have a residency program for these beautiful month-long residencies in the Rockies. We take writers into the schools. So, I mean, we do all sorts of things. We have... Um, a national program as well where we uh, give an annual fiction prize called the Aspen Words Literary Prize, which is a $35,000 award um, to a work of fiction that shines a spotlight on a social issue. And um, we've just announced our finalists and the winner will be announced um, later this later in April. Um, and then, I don't know, That's <laughs> those are some of the programs. So we will link to that so that our listeners can check that out and see what's going on. Um, Great. Thank you. Yeah, um, I think that's really exciting. So I know that we are running out of time, but I really want to know, you said you're working on a novel. Is that your next is that what's next for you if people are asking what your next big thing is? <laughs> um, well, it's it's barely. I'm thinking about a novel, and in thinking okay. about it, I don't want to it then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just it occurs to me because I thought, oh, it'll be great. I'll move on to fiction, and that'll be so much easier than memoir. And that, but of course, the, <laughs> the thing about fiction is, you know, it's boundless. You can do mm-hmm. anything. Any character can be anyone and you have to create full lives for all these imaginary people. So it just feels like you're writing 20 books. Yeah. Thinking about 20 books. Hopefully it will become easier as I narrow down. But um, at the moment I'm just in the percolating stage. Well, that's so exciting. Um, thank you. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Um, I was Really excited to get to talk to you about this book. Um, was a big fan of the book. I recommend everyone go check it out, especially, you know, now that it's in paperback. I prefer a nice hardcover book, so obviously I got it right away. But for those of you guys who like paperback, go get it. All right. Thanks, Emily. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye. Food, though. Mm-hmm. That's right. Chef's kiss, literally. Yeah. Chef's <laughs> <kiss>. <laughs> we do not have listener feedback this time. I do. Well, I do have. Okay. My friend messaged me on Instagram a little bit about our Hamilton yes. episode. So I'll just read. It. He was really just, he was like, I'm listening to your podcast. And then he was like, um, I, I really like how you guys bring up the important controversies with it, but don't get preachy about them. And you know your shit with theater references and everything else. Uh, and then he yeah. was like, you need more people of color on your podcast to troll me. So. That's true. <laughs> we do, though. We would like. Yeah. If you are a person of color, 
and you would like to be on this <laughs> podcast, please write in and let us know. We'll have you on. Yeah, including my friend who wrote me this complaint. Thanks, Jared. Yeah. <laughs> have Jared come on. Yeah, come on. Come on, ready. Jared. He probably won't be listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, um, this is kind of listener feedback and kind of not. Todd's mom, who doesn't listen to the podcast, but wanted to listen to the Hamilton episode because we went to see Hamilton with her, she called Todd and said, I just wanted to say, you know, the part when you guys were talking about how people of color are now telling the stories of the founding fathers who were all slave owners and really crappy, that was really good. Aww. (laughs) She was just like, that was a good observation. I had never thought of that before. And I was like, oh. Sweet. Well, we didn't come up with the idea. We just noticed it. So. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote Hamilton. (laughs) Me, the author of Hamilton. Lin-Manuel Miranda, co-host of Book Squad Goals. (laughs) (laughs) Gosh. Oh, man. Can you imagine? Look. Come on. We'll have him on. We've said it before. It's going to be a running running little gag now. It's like. Yeah. Let's have him on the show. Yeah. (laughs) We have some stuff on the blog. Yeah. I got to write something on the blog eventually. We'll keep putting that off. I have something I've started writing but haven't finished writing. Well, if you Susan don't finish it tomorrow, I can try to write something. something. I don't know. Yeah. Susan wrote something. Susan she- wrote a blog post about the new Chicks album, formerly Dixie Chicks. Mm. My queens. I love them. Gas- Gaslighter? Yes. Gaslighter is about Natalie Maines, uh, the lead singer of the Chicks, her scandalous divorce with her husband who cheated on her with a woman on their boat that they own together, which uh, is the inspiration for the song Tights on My Boat. Great song. So Susan wrote a blog post sort of reviewing the album and talking about it and talking about how uh, it kind of gets at the heart of the messiness of the, the messiness and weirdness of getting divorced and especially getting divorced pretty young. Yes. Good job, Susan. And then I wrote a blog post uh, about Insecure several months too late, but it's fine. You know what, Kelly? Um, I'm watching it right now, so it felt very relevant to me personally. Yes. And now you know because you are the one who copy edited my post. So Yeah. I, you spoiled me, but it's okay. It was, was, it was minor spoilers. It was minor. I mean, if I was really bothered, I would have asked somebody else to do it. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, so minor spoilers on the blog post. I won't say any of them here, but I basically wrote about how uh, if I have to be Team Issa or Team Molly, I am Team Molly, which is uh, a small but vocal minority of people. Uh, proud Team Molly over here. So if you want to know why I feel that way, and I just kind of wrote about how I um, find Molly to be relatable in more ways than Issa, just personally. It's a very, mm-hmm. it's on a personal level. Um, yeah. You can check out my post. Isn't there a new series coming up? Yeah, but it's, it won't be out yet when this comes 
out. It's not okay. coming out until the 29th, so. We'll just There's handle. a mystery series coming mystery. out. No, it's scary stuff, but. Well, it's it's not even that it's much of a mystery because it happened last year, too. Yeah, so, so they know it's a mystery, you guys. Um, it's the second annual Spooktober. And Spooktober went, I'll just go ahead and say, since it's coming up, and so you guys can get excited about anticipation. it. anticipation. Spooktober went so, I felt like we got a really positive reception with Spooktober last year. So I'm upping the ante, and we're doing, <laughs> by we I mean me. Um, we, the royal we, are doing two. (laughs) You and Moo. Two spooky series. One will be movies and one will be books. And it's hilarious that I'm planning on doing this since I've been really terrible about writing blogs. However, I do find when I have a series that, like, I know, like, this is what I have to write about, I'm much better at following through. That's So, um, I'm excited. I love it how you're like you're so busy and you're like I have so much work to do and then you're like I'm gonna write two series just because yes. I want to. Yeah. Well, I have a lot of horror novels that have been I've been getting a lot of horror yeah. novel arcs and there's a lot of really good ones that I've been getting and so I'm like I need to read these like I've got one right here that I really want to read. I mean I've got a lot and um, some of them are shorter than others and Susan and I are going to cover some short stories as well so it's not all going to be novels we're going to switch it up but um, yeah I'm very excited about it because um, look I can find time for some scary shit. Always find time for some scary shit. I definitely will will want to join you on some of your movies if you'll have me. Yeah. Yeah. I always Um, love a good scary movie. mm -hmm. Yeah. So on our next book episode, uh, that's going to be Susan's episode, but since she's not here, uh, it is going to be We Set the Dark on Fire by Taylor Key Mejia. Taylor yeah. K. Mejia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that book is great. I'm enjoying it. I'm like halfway through. Wow. So, I'm really excited about it. It's fun um, and interesting. And it's a YA book, uh, but it's like, not so typical YA where I feel like – I don't feel like I'm being, t- like, talked down to, which I sometimes feel like when I'm reading YA. That's just uh, bad YA. Yeah. there's a lot, a lot of, of it out YA. there. There's a lot of bad YA out there that people excuse because it's YA. And let me just once again say for the record, um, being YA is not an excuse to be bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's also a lot of good YA exactly. out there. Exactly. And you're giving that good YA a bad name. So stop it. Uh, so you should read along with us for that. And then our next other sode. What's it going to be, y'all? Uh, you know what it is, Emily. Do I? Yeah. It's, uh, I'm thinking of ending things. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm going to lead that one. Mm-hmm. Look, this is all coming together right here in front of your very ears. <laughs> <laughs> I assume you would lead it because you're the one who's read the book. So yes. Makes um, sense. We're gonna I'm do- reading the book. How are you oh, liking it so far, Mary? It's weird and I like it. It's so weird. And that's why I'm really excited to see this movie. Um, the movie is directed by Charlie Kaufman. Yes. yes. The movie is directed by Charlie Kaufman. I'm going to say that more confidently. Um the movie is directed by Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> there, you have several takes to go. You can Thank pick you. one of them. I'm going to leave them all in. 
<laughs> That's fine. You can do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, we got Tony Collette up in this as yes. well, which I mean, really, if I hadn't re- if I hadn't read the book, if I didn't know anything about the movie, and I hadn't seen a trailer, and you just said we're gonna do a Tony Collette movie, I'd be like, all right, it sounds great. Because that's how much Tony I believe Collette in her. married to Professor Remus Lupin. That's right. Love it. So anyway, I really can't say anything about this movie without giving stuff away. Because it's just really weird and you just got to go along for the ride. Also, I haven't watched the movie yet, so I can't say like what they're going to do with it. But I think it should be interesting. Um, I think we should have a lot of stuff to talk about. So I'm excited. Yeah. I'm and if you decide you want to read the book... We're not going to be, I mean, we might talk about the book a little bit, but that's not a requirement. That's not part of the assignment. But if you decide you want to read the book, I listened to the audiobook and it was like five hours long. So like. Maybe I'll listen to it on my long ass drive to Florida. Yeah. There you go. I thought you were going to say my long commute and I was like, are you not working from home? No. My My long long commute commute to to my desk next to my bed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Literally, oh, there's my 30 seconds for the day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, the book is by Ian Reed, right? Yes, that's the author's Mm -hmm. name, Ian Reed. Um, I recommended this book to one of my TBR clients, and they just got back to me and finished it. And they were like, Wow, that was crazy! I really liked it. And so, I got to respond and be like, Well, if you like that, there's gonna be a movie, and I was so excited. Oh boy, yeah, uh, yeah, it's Ian Reed, so. A little shout out to TBR there. Also, you should check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. mytbr.com. Check out TBR. All right, uh, that's all I got. And as always, if you have any comments about the movie The Secret Garden, which I highly doubt you do, because how many people rented this for twenty dollars? <laughs> don't don't do it. Don't do it. Um, just us. If, you, if you do. Or just about the book, The Secret Garden, or whatever, uh, you can write to us. If you have comments about Hamilton or any of our other other episodes or book episodes, you can write to us at the squad at booksquadgoals.com. You can also reach us on Instagram and Facebook. We are at booksquadgoals. Also on Twitter, at booksquadgoals. Um, please subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice. We are on all of them. We are on Spotify. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Overcast. That's my app of choice. And you. if you would be so kind to leave us a rating and review, we would absolutely love that. It would make us so very happy. Uh, it makes us happy that you're listening, though. That, uh... Would be enough, as Hamilton would be enough. says. <laughs> Look at where we are. <laughs>